This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and discussions of religious intolerance and indoctrination. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 251. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, the creator and head author of the Metamore City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislaster.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 25 in my Metamore City novel, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. John has been taken into custody by the Lightbringer agent, Nazreen Kishani. She had identified him as the cause of an orgy at a nearby college party, and thought that he might be to blame for the disappearance of one of the partygoers, Chase Tomley. In truth, Chase is a young incubus, and the orgy completed his metamorphosis into his Daedra form. While John and Kate had released a sizable amount of Suspira's essence at the party, it was Chase losing control of his essence that had triggered most of the chaos. A large chunk of Suspira's power was unleashed in a swirling vortex called a Lust Storm, which drove the partygoers mad with lust and then fed on the results. Kate put an end to this threat by absorbing the Lust Storm, using the supernatural powers she inherited from her biological father. The group then withdrew to Sam and Lisa's house, where Agent Kashani arrested John the next morning. John said nothing about what had happened to Chase and Kate, intent on covering for them until Chase could get someplace safe and let his parents know he's alive. But Chase didn't go somewhere safe. Instead, he turned himself in to the Lightbringers, revealing that he was the one who had lost control of his new Incubus powers. Kate showed up soon thereafter, followed by Sam, Lisa, and Emily. The waiting room at the Lightbringer field office was getting crowded, and things got tense when the Lightbringers told Kate that John wasn't there, Agent Kashani having taken him to a nearby restaurant for lunch. John and Kashani showed up just as things were about to turn ugly, and between them they were able to defuse the situation. Kashani sat everyone down and got the whole story from them. She pleaded with Kate and Chase to learn from this experience, to make a real effort at learning to control their powers so they don't cause any more chaos. But just as it seemed like everything was about to be settled, another ground car came squealing into the parking lot. The woman who stepped out was tall, red-haired, and middle-aged. Her makeup was smeared from crying, and she stormed into the Lightbringer office with rage in her eyes. Throwing open the doors with both hands, she turned her glare on Agent Kashani, demanding, Where is my son? 
Homecoming, a tale of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 25 Agent Kashani rose to her feet, raising her hands palm outward in front of her chest. Miss Tomley, please calm down. The older woman threw out a hand in Kashani's direction, as if she were a sorceress casting a spell at her. Do not tell me to calm down. I want to see him. Take me to him, now! Lisa went immediately to her side, putting gentle but restraining hands on her arm and shoulder. Margaret, dear, you need to stop and listen. Two days, Lisa! Margaret Tomley exclaimed, her voice tearing with grief. Two days my son is missing, and now you tell me he's here, turning himself in. I won't stand for it. Where is he? Chase sprang to his feet and shouted, Mom! Margaret did a double-take. An instant later, her mind seemed to make sense of the handsome young incubus standing in front of her, and her mouth fell open. Fresh tears welled up in her eyes, and her bottom lip trembled. Chase? she whispered. They ran to each other then, wrapping each other in a tight, sobbing embrace. Chase leaned his head on his mother's shoulder and shuddered, his tail coiling reflexively around her back. Oh, my baby, Margaret cried, stroking her hand over his hair. My poor, sweet baby. Mom, Chase whimpered, the tears running down his face and leaving dark spots on her jacket. Mom, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is all my fault. Oh, no, 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 baby, Margaret said, clutching him even tighter. I'm the one who's sorry. Chase froze. What? Margaret drew back and held him before her, gripping his arms tightly at the elbows. She took a deep, shuddering breath in, held it, let it out. It's my fault you weren't prepared for this, sweetheart. I should have told you. I should have told you years ago. It seemed to take Chase a few seconds to process what his mother was saying. You mean, you knew? You knew what... what I was? John leaned forward, suddenly keenly interested in what Chase's mother had to say. Lisa settled back down in the chair beside him, her hands pressed palm to palm in front of her mouth, her eyes bright with worry. John wondered if she was praying. Margaret let out a heavy sigh, then guided Chase over to the nearest pair of empty chairs. Agent Kashani discreetly moved out of their way, perching on the last seat near the door to the back room. Chase's mother took out a folded tissue and dabbed at her eyes. Your father and I couldn't have children, she said, her voice coming out low and rough. We tried, tried for years. We prayed and fasted and begged Eli to give us a child. But it never happened. We spent all our savings on a fertility treatment. It didn't work. We couldn't afford to try again. And when we asked the church to help us raise the money, do you know what they said? It wasn't Eli's will. Chase and Margaret said it in unison. Exactly, Margaret said. 
Here she hesitated, looking down at her hands. So I was reading the paper one day, and I saw they were opening a new temple of hedonism in Alarial. Some of the churches were planning to protest, but it occurred to me maybe... Maybe Eli meant for us to find help in a different place. Chase looked stunned. John, though, nodded thoughtfully. So you went to the goddess of fertility, he said. Margaret looked over at him with an embarrassed smile. Yes, though of course I told myself that she wasn't really a goddess. I thought she was just a... a powerful being like the Majestrix, someone with magic who might help us. We didn't know any better at the time. She turned back to Chase. Your father struggled with the idea. We both did. But in the end, we decided that it was our last chance. So we went to the temple, and we talked to the priests. She blushed. And we made an offering. Chase's expression turned puzzled. He looked over at John. What does that mean? It means they had sex with the priest of hedonism, John said gently. An incubus or a succubus. He glanced aside at Margaret. Or possibly both? She nodded and blushed a bit redder. There was a priestess for Brandon and a priest for me. They said if we both wanted the baby, then we had to make the offering together. That's smart, Lisa murmured. If the husband ever had second thoughts, he couldn't pretend he had nothing to do with it. Margaret gave her a wry, knowing smile. In Brandon's defense, he's never been anything but supportive. He loved Chase from the minute he was born. Chase seemed to be putting something else together. Wait a minute. So you're saying Dad isn't my dad? Your father is the one who raised you, Kate said. She reached over and gripped Sam's hand, squeezing it hard. Family's more than blood, Chase. Amen, Sam whispered, smiling at his daughter. Okay, but what about Summer? Chase asked. Is she really my sister? Is she gonna... He gestured vaguely at his skin and horns. We don't know, honey, Margaret said. You need to understand, your father and I... Well... We didn't just talk to the priests that once. They would come visit Bridger Heights in disguise, to look in on you, see how you were doing, and also to teach us more about Suspira's word. She took Chase's hand, held it gently between both of hers. Your father and I believe in Eli, Chase, but we also believe in Suspira. She answered our prayers and gave us you, and as we came to follow her word... Eventually, we started to teach others, too. Lisa sat straight up in her seat. Margaret Tomley, are you telling me those canticle studies you kept inviting us to were... She hesitated and seemed to struggle to find the right words. Not studying the canticle, Margaret admitted, blushing harder. I'd heard Mariahists were... Well... More open to learning from the old gods than folks in the Church of Eli. Lisa and Sam exchanged an astonished glance. We thought you were trying to convert us, Sam said. And I was, sort of, Margaret admitted. But not, um, to the Church of Eli. <laughs>
I've heard of this, John said. In places where hedonists can't worship openly, they go underground. They meet in people's houses, hold private services there. Usually the lay people lead it, but sometimes a traveling priest will stop in to officiate and teach more doctrine and bless the congregation. And to soak up all that tasty life manna, Kate added wryly. Exactly, Margaret said. Which is why we aren't sure about Summer Chase. She might have been the priest's, but she might have been fathered by one of the other worshippers. Chase looked like someone could have knocked him over with a feather. All this time, he whispered, you raised me in our church. You took me to Sunday school, to youth group. He shook his head in disbelief. Do you know what they taught us in youth group? Do you know what they say about... about people who do the stuff you're talking about? Margaret's expression turned uncertain. Well, honey, listen, I know there are some judgmental people in our church. Some folks aren't happy unless they're telling everyone else how to live. But we never taught you that nonsense. Haven't we always told you Eli's love was for everyone, always? Didn't we say there was nothing you could do to separate you from his love? Chase nodded, sniffled, and wiped at his eyes. Yeah, he said, in a voice now rough with tears. And then our youth leaders said if we had sex outside of marriage, we'd go to hell. They made us promise not to have sex, Mom. They made us promise Eli. He squeezed his eyes shut and sobbed. And I broke my promise. Oh, baby. Margaret took Chase in her arms again and held him tightly. John caught a glimpse of her face over Chase's shoulder, and her eyes were once again burning with a slow, furious anger. He suspected that some of the Church of Eli's staff members were going to get an earful pretty soon. When Chase's sobs had subsided again, Margaret took her son's face in her hands and looked into his eyes. I didn't know they made you do that, sweetheart. Believe me, that didn't have anything to do with making Eli happy. That was all about a group of... of awful repressed grown-ups trying to control the bodies of young people. But your body is Eli's gift to you, for you to enjoy. And it's nobody else's business who you enjoy it with, all right? You just be kind and loving and respect others' control of their bodies, too. Those are the only rules about sex you really need. Okay, baby? That other stuff is just scared old people being afraid of their own bodies. Chase nodded slowly. I can sort of understand that. Being afraid of your own body, I mean. Margaret tisked, then leaned forward and kissed him on the forehead. You've been given a great blessing, sweetie. You get to carry a piece of the Lady Suspira inside you forever. You're going to bring joy to so many people. She put a hand over his heart. Don't be afraid of your power. It was given to you for a reason. Kate and Lisa exchanged a knowing look at this, but said nothing. A small, uncertain smile rose on Chase's lips. He reached up and covered Margaret's hand with his own. Thanks, Mom. I'll try to remember. It took another hour for Agent Kashani to take all the statements she needed, and for John, Chase, and the others to fill out the necessary paperwork. 
Chase had an official file now with the Lothanasi Order, and because he had lost control of his powers, he would be on probation for the next two years. As long as he didn't break any more rules during that time, though, he would be allowed to retain his status as an imperial citizen. This was very good news. Citizenship gave John significant advantages over Daedra like Jasmine and Ms. Fallon, who had not been born on Earth and were only considered resident aliens. Holding on to his would make Chase's life immeasurably easier, in everything from filing his taxes to dealing with the police. As for John and Kate, Kashani ruled that they had not done anything that justified bringing charges against them. No one at the party had been compelled to have sexual contact against their will, and John and Kate had not fed enough on anyone to pose a danger to their health or well-being. Indeed, by absorbing the lust storm and stabilizing Janet Vickers, Kate had averted much of the damage that might otherwise have occurred from Chase's mishap. As a result of all this, Kate got her own file in the Lothanasi database, not as an outsider, but as an enhanced human, with abilities that were relevant to the Lightbringer's purview. Fortunately, such records were treated as sensitive, and not open to public consumption. Once they were all done, Kashani shook each of their hands and wished them good luck. John tried to return her books, but she refused to take them. Go ahead and read them, she said. The next time you're in town, I want to talk about them with you. She smiled wryly. Over coffee or dinner, not in a cell. She half-turned in Kate's direction, and her smile became flirtatious. And I do hope you'll join us, Lieutenant. I'd like very much to get to know you under better circumstances. Kate smiled politely, but the warmth did not reach her eyes. John suspected she was still holding a grudge against Kashani for keeping him locked up overnight. It's a small world, Agent, she said. I'm sure we'll see each other around. And that's the end of Chapter 25. Come back next time when our heroes return to Sam and Lisa's house, and John gives Chase his first lesson in being an incubus. J.R.R. Tolkien said, Writing grows like a seed in the dark, out of the leaf mold of the mind, out of all that has been seen or thought or read that has long ago been forgotten, descending into the deeps. So let's see what has grown from the mental compost this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of August 29th through September 4th. I wrote 4,413 words this week, over the course of 6.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 679 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 140 days without breaking my chain. Looking back at the month of August, I wrote a total of 16,452 words in 23 days, averaging 751 words per day. That ranks 30th out of 64 months since I started this podcast. I spent 23.75 hours writing in August. Compared to July, my word count decreased by 19%, and my writing time decreased by 15%. I made good progress this week on Honor Bound. After spending the first half of the book covering Honor and Natasha's first three days together, I've decided that it's time to telescope out and let them fall into a routine for a while. They need some time to adjust to their new normal, 
before the next big event comes along to shake things up. Even though I know it needs to happen for the sake of pacing, I found myself a little reluctant to do it. I'm greatly enjoying the time these two characters spend together. They are sweet and tender and vulnerable and just really terribly cute. But stories need conflict, and heroes need obstacles to overcome if they're going to earn their happy ending. So as much as I'm enjoying lingering in the bloom of fresh young love, it's time to move these two along to their next challenge. I'm now in chapter 23, and the manuscript is over 58,000 words. I have some exciting news this week on the publishing front. I sold my second story ever at a professional rate. I'm very proud to say that my mythos story, Maternal Instinct, will be featured on the Drabblecast for this year's Lovecraft Month. It's slated to be released on or about the second week of October 2020. For those who aren't familiar with it, the Drabblecast brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. It's one of the best fiction podcasts out there, with excellent production values, superb narrators, eerie music, and fantastic cover art. It has long been a goal of mine to see one of my stories given the Drabblecast treatment, so I am super excited about this. You can find the show at drabblecast.org, or search for it anywhere you get your podcasts. I'll also put a link in the show notes. Additionally, a slightly abridged version of Maternal Instinct was accepted for publication in Strange Aeon 2020, an anthology of the year's best Lovecraftian fiction. I don't have a release date for that book yet, but I'll let you know when it's out. This has been a big confidence booster for my writing career, and it makes me want to submit more stories to professional markets. And as it happens, I have some that I think editors might be interested in. Watch this space for more info. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.